ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the third official Bantering the Blue Shirts podcast hosted by Blue Shirt Banter, SB Nation's home of the New York Rangers. I apologize to everyone. I just, <clears throat> excuse me, I just uh, started the chat. I had it locked down for a little bit. And Mike, your phone, your microphone actually went to mute automatically. So I saw that this time. Mike will not be muted as proof. Mike, how are you doing today? I'm fine. I can no, speak see. now. All yeah, good. he waited a minute just to scare me. And we are also joined by Beth Macklin, who is uh, the editor on Blue Shirt Banter, the much-needed editor on Blue Shirt Banter, and also one of the managing <laughs> editors of BlueShirtBanter.com slash Riveters. Beth, how are you doing today? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. See, she's not muted either, so we're good. Uh, so we're going – Mike and I have a bunch of things to talk about today. We, we borrowed Beth for a couple of minutes just to talk about her interview with uh, Rick Nash through Playmobil this weekend. Uh, before we get into that, I just want to let everybody know just a big thank you from all of us. Uh, the numbers, the downloads have been spectacular, a lot more than I thought they were going to be. So definitely want to let you guys know that we appreciate all of that. Um, if you don't know, you can download us on iTunes. You could subscribe to us. You could rate us. You could say nice things about us. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, you can also download us directly on blogtalkradio.com slash blueshirtbanter, the way you're listening to us right now. And we will be having these episodes on the bottom of every story like we have had the past couple of weeks. So I guess to begin, Beth, you uh, you saw Rick Nash in person. He was walking. So obviously the leg seems like it's getting a little bit better. How was the interview? Was it a good time? Did you figure anything out? You know, it was a good time. And yeah, he was, I was there for pretty close to an hour uh, before and after, and he was standing the entire time. So I didn't see a lot of walking, but I saw some real good standing. And um, so, you know, there's potential there, I guess. I thought it was interesting that the only people who kept offering him chairs were the uh, sports journalists who were there. Um, You know, they seemed to want him back in the game. Um, But, yeah, I mean, it was nice to talk to him. I had talked to him um, with somebody else back in October. So that was, you know, a good bracket to sort of the beginning of the season and now to be thinking about how things were going. Yeah, and it looks like you guys definitely talked about a wide variety of things, including the the giant Lego ranger that does look a little bit like Matt Zuccarello. Um, But one of the things that he mentioned to you, and it's really the two things that I want to talk about about the interview. The first was, obviously, we've had a lot of conversations on the website. The podcast did not exist when this first happened, but Vigneault mentioned the comment about Lundqvist needing to re-become himself during the Rangers' struggles about a month ago. Um, it seemed to be that Nash probably disagreed with that a little bit. You can read the, the whole interview on Blue Shirt Banter, but Beth, you were there in person. What was your take on that? And, uh, just you know what? I've I've been watching Rick Nash for a few years now, and that was the most extreme facial expression I've ever seen from him. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't quite an eye roll, but it was definitely a head shake, and it was definitely a statement that if he had heard it before, he seriously disagreed with it. You know, he was really having none of it. Um, you know, and he definitely wasn't going to pick up on the AV angle of it, but he made pretty clear in what he said to me, you know, Henrik is the best goalie in the world. If there's something wrong, he's going to fix it, and we can rely on him to do that. So, yeah, that was, you know, that seemed to me to suggest something about, um, you know, I don't want to take it too far, but 
when you shake off a coach's statement like that, it did seem a little bit suggestive to me. But yeah, he was he was having none of that. He contradicted it completely, and he did not make any qualifications about you know that one bad stretch either. All he said was, you know, we can't leave him hanging out to dry. There was no blame for for Lundqvist in that in what he said to me about that at all. Right, which is something I think we all realized. Uh, Beth, by the way, since she's been nice enough to join the show, did a fantastic piece on the optics of Henrik Lundqvist that you should also read that went up this this weekend. Um, Just some really good uh, in-depth analysis on what Lundqvist has been able to do throughout his career, not just right now. And I love that in the interview you put re-become himself in quotations because as we discussed, that's not a word. Um, Mike, I'm just curious because we've talked a lot about Keith Yandel was pretty much all of last week. Um, from a Lundquist perspective, he's back at this point, you'd have to say no. Oh, well, first I want to ask Beth a question here. Um, can you talk to me about the Playmobil line and what it will bring to children? You know what? I mean, it's so cute. And it's, the children. once you Think do the get children. past that you've got, <laughs> once you do get past that you've got like this, you know, five foot well you know what zook is five foot seven right so it's basically a life-size zook and um once you get past that and you start playing with stuff i mean they're really impossible to put down um and you know i don't know quite how i feel about an advent calendar of nhl players but you know the rest of it is a lot of fun the zamboni's adorable they've got uh some sort of ice game that you can hook them up to that looks very 70s I may be the only person in this conversation to whom that means anything, but, you know, you sort of attach them to something and they spin around a little bit with their little sticks. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, it looks like a great line and I'm glad they're having a lot of luck with it. And, you know, this is the second event I think Nash has done for them in New York. So, you know, I'm glad I'm picking it off. It probably says good things about growing the game in general too, if they can make, make a success of that and keep expanding it. So, Seems like a good sign. Um, now, Joe, what was your nonsense question about Yandel again? No, it was actually uh, was not about Yandel. <laughs> it was about Lundqvist and whether or not you think he's back uh, or has, has oh. put in quotations, re-become himself. I don't know. I'm not convinced he ever really left. I mean, it's uh, I I don't obviously watch enough of other teams, especially teams that lean on their goaltender as much as the Rangers do. Um, you know, I can. Look, look at what's happened with Pecorino in Nashville and how the season has just been a catastrophe for him. And, you know, I can point to that and say, yeah, Pecorino isn't himself. Um, I think much like the Canadians in general and with Price had like an unsustainably brilliant start to the season, Hank was unsus- unsustainably brilliant at first, and then he leveled off and... A lot of the leveling off, I think, had to do with, you know, I again, I, I can't speak for every team, but can you think of a goaltender who is on a on a playoff-bound team who is hung out to dry as much as Henrik Lundqvist is, um, you know, with odd man rushes and just unforgivable turnovers, game after game after game? You know, I'm not sure we need a better example than, um, you know, two shutouts against, you know, the. The Devils and the the Flyers in in recent weeks being taken away from them in the third period just because of just goofy plays by the defense. But um, I would I'm, I'm not convinced he's ever left. 
I went back and watched the three games he get he got pulled in. Sorry, Mike, I didn't mean to interrupt there. Um, and you know, I mean, it's the same old thing. The things that we're used to: nobody in front of the net helping him out, or you know, people pinching up too far, and uh, you know, he gets hung out to dry. So you know, you could definitely argue there were a couple of soft ones in there. Um, but you know, when Hank gets pulled, it more looks like he's had it with everybody than it does, you know like they're pulling someone who's doing an inadequate job. It's more like, you know, get him off the ice before he starts throwing things is more the sense that you get, you know, that it's just not good for him to be out there anymore. And it's, you know, and they put Ranta in. But, yeah, there was never one of those games that I watched, you know, that the whole thing I was like, wow, it is really not his night. That's just not the feeling you get. He made spectacular saves in all those games too. So, yeah, he never really left. In your story, he acted like a goalie because he was a goalie. Like, that's what these guys do. They're, they're head cases for a reason because you have to be a head case to sit in front of a puck that's moving 95 miles per hour to 100 miles per hour at your head and then headed away. But I, I agree with you guys. I think that the reality is I probably wrote the word unsustainable or the word sustainable a million times over that course of the Rangers just dominating the win column despite not playing really well and hey, this is not sustainable hockey or Lundqvist numbers aren't going to be sustainable. And when he crashed back down to earth, it's not because he's an inferior goalie who was playing above his head. It's He's the best goalie in the world that's playing above his head. No goaltender should be expected to have a 946 save percentage. It, just, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so you're never going to sustain that. You're never going to live with that. And he came back down. Now I think he's back up. Uh, I, we talked a little bit about not loving the way that Vigneault kind of heaped the blame on him and kept the blame away from some of the other players, but everybody knew what he was talking about. Everybody knew the two people that he was talking about. So it kind of continues to be an issue today, even with what the Rangers are doing and uh, just the way that Vigneault is perceiving the team's problems publicly, if that makes sense. So that was definitely, I'm glad to see that Nash has his back. Obviously it's something that these guys are very tight knit the Rangers locker room at least for the most part, seems to be a very tight-knit group, even though they've lost a bunch of players, which is good to see. But they're not going to turn on each other. It's not like Nash is going to come out and say, oh, Girardi sucks, or oh, this is all Lundqvist's fault. (laughs) But to see him give him that type of a backing obviously means a lot. And in the same vein, you asked him a question about Keith Yandel's name being on the trade block, and Nash obviously had something to say about that as well. And it was, I'll let you really get into it, but he brought up how good of a guy he is in the dressing room, which is obviously something that we don't hear a lot when it comes to Keith Yandel. But what was your perception on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I have to say I was sort of shocked. That wasn't really what I was expecting to hear. One of the commenters on the blog brought it up, and I agreed that, you know, I thought that's the, the phrase you throw at the guy if you can't say anything nice, you know, say they're great in the dressing room. Um which obviously with Yandel cannot possibly be the case. So then what was Nash saying there? Well, maybe I'm reading too much into it. And he's just a really great guy in the dressing room, you know, and uh, maybe that's a way of saying that they'd be sad to lose him if he goes. Um, But yeah, great guy in the dressing room. And he said he quarterbacks the power play and, you know, both of those seem sort of promotional material to me, you know, Um, he didn't go into detail the way he did when he talked about JT Miller and, Obviously, that's, you know, offense versus defense there. Um, But I guess I I was hoping for a little bit more. I I didn't push on it, but I thought, you know, I got two cliches, neither of which I really knew what to do with. 
I mean, he quarterbacks the power play, but we're dying for him to get more time on the power play. So, you know, quarterback may not be the best, may not be the best word, or at least not until McDonough went out. Um, so I wasn't really sure what to do with that. I wasn't sure if he just wasn't sure what else to say. If he's such a fantastic guy in the dressing room that that just had to be the first thing that he mentioned, or if, you know, this is gearing up to not emphasize his role on the team because they know that he's gone. I wasn't really sure. There's definitely a lot of tinfoil hats you could put on for situations like this. Is it? I mean, Nash has never been, I think, the best quote in the world anyway. I remember that being a big complaint from the Columbus guys when he first came over was not that it was a complaint, but this is just who he is. He's not a huge guy when it comes to actually talking about himself or the team and he speaks in cliches and how can you blame athletes when they talk in cliches and everybody complains and then you get an athlete who actually speaks his mind and everybody goes crazy with what they're saying. So you could definitely look at it as in, oh, hey, he didn't really want to talk too much about it. Maybe he didn't want to give his true feelings away or maybe it was just an answer. I mean, my vast knowledge of Yandel's locker room antics and his presence is when he was growing the mustache and he like flicked his fingers over the mustache to show how awesome it was. That was the only thing that I saw from Keith Yandel in terms of being a leader in the locker room. But I think as we learned with the Ryan Callahan situation, who wore a letter, he was the captain. And when he left, there really didn't seem to be that leadership void. And Brad Richards kind of talked about how not he didn't necessarily say, oh, we're not going to miss him as a leader. But it was pretty much, hey, the guys in the room can get this done. So I think Vigneault in the past, and even right now, is a very player's coach in terms of letting the players police themselves. And that probably comes with a lot of veterans in the room being leaders. And it just is what it is. But I think the one part that Nash said in that interview, which again, you could take this a million different ways, is he's a great guy in the dressing room, which is huge. Now, is he just saying that because that's what you're supposed to say? Or is he saying that like, hey, he handles a veteran who can get the job done and everybody, you know, some of the younger kids listen to what he says and uh, we heard rumors, or not rumors, but we saw that he was working with McElrath a little bit, and there are definitely those types of veteran slash rookie situations that you love to see. I, I remember you can't help but smile when you see Martin St. Louis helping some of the younger guys out with the shots or figuring stuff out last year. But um, I guess we'll let Mike, who I'd say is the most level-headed person that I know on the <laughs> website, uh, come in. Mike, what do you think? Do you think we're just making stuff up at this point, or do you think it's something that, that actually means something? I'm a, I've, I've always considered, you know, I, I think the best the best perspective to take on this is to look at who he was to the Coyotes. And, you know, the Coyotes organization, you know, between being in, you know, Phoenix and rebranded in Arizona, really been an island of misfit toys for a lot of NHLers, you know, with, you know, extending Paul Bissonnette's career just because he has a Twitter presence and, you know, there wasn't a lot of guys who stuck around there for a while, but Yandel did. And, uh, you know, you know, obviously Shane Doan's been there forever, but you can't really discredit the fact that he was an important part of the things that went right in the Coyotes franchise, especially the power play, obviously, because that's why he was so attractive to the Rangers and why they were willing to give up what they gave up for him. Um, I would be, you know, it's a small market team, and so maybe if there were any issues you know, off the ice, it, it would be, you'd have to kind of go looking for them, but I don't really think that's the case. Uh, I've never really gotten the sense that Yandel is a problem. And, you know, it's, I know it's one of those cliche statements to make, oh, he's, he's great in the locker room. You know, who isn't great in the locker room? But 
Um, it's also, you know, it might just be Nash making a bit of a non-committal answer. Like he wants to say something, but he also doesn't want to make it sound like, you know, he's, you know, that uh, Keith Yandel is the life support system for the team, and if he's gone, it's all over, or vice versa. You know, doesn't want to make right. it sound like, you know, he's the appendix of the team and can easily be taken away. So, which can be um, true because the know, final part. Go ahead, Mike. I'm sorry. No, no, that's the only thought I had, really. Well, I was just going to say the final part of his quote is he says, I'm glad I'm a player and I don't have to worry about the business end, which, as you know, Yandel's coming up to be a free agent. Obviously, there are, I mean, these guys, it's something that they worry about. Adam Herman, who writes for the website, uses the term all the time. These guys aren't robots. They're self-aware. It's not like in NHL 16 when you just bench a guy or you don't play a guy on the power play. They don't actually care. They don't think anything. These guys obviously know the situation that they're in and the way that they're being utilized. So, um, Beth, I, I wanted to thank you because it was a really good interview and you did the Playmobil thing and that was equally awesome. And as Mike said, think about the children. Um, is there anything else you would like to oh, add before we, we release you from this, this horrible prison <laughs> that is Bantering the Blue Shirts podcast? Uh, I was going to ask, do you think his opinion on the three-on-three is pretty standard? So mean that he doesn't think this. that it's a fair way to decide a game? I mean, I thought that I was pretty I, funny. He's basically like, I'm glad you guys like it, but <laughs> I don't think it's a weird, good way to decide who goes to the playoffs. That weird fine line when it's like a guy obviously understands that growing the game is really important, but doesn't really like the theatrics of it, I guess. I mean, this was – Mike and I talked about this on the pilot episode, which if, if you have not listened to, you should because it's Mike and I fumbling around in the dark for 30 minutes as we figured this out, but – um, Mike and I talked about how three-on-three looked so much better at the All-Star game and how the players obviously liked it, or they, I think it was Elliot Friedman said they liked it so much that they actually lobbied to have the three-on-three bleed into a two-day tournament instead of the skills competition. Um, I think a lot of guys like three-on-three overtime. I think a lot of guys like the shootout, but I definitely believe that a lot of guys don't love the fact that those things are deciding a hockey game. And I've always been of the mind that so long as they don't touch the playoffs, they can do whatever they want with the regular season. And I think three-on-three is fun. I think it's exciting. But I can definitely see how a a hockey purist, and I I really, if I had to pick an adjective for Rick Nash, hockey purist would probably be up there because he's just one of those old school, really doesn't screw around. You don't hear a lot about him. He's never in trouble. He keeps his head down. He's got a wife and a golf membership and just all these things that you'd think of like the prototypical hockey player, it would not surprise me for this to not be his favorite thing in the world. Uh, Mike, what do you think about the three-on-three or rather what the players think about it? Well, it's always interesting. It's I always kind of go back to really what's wrong with a tie. Um, I've never, you know, I grew up in a generation where, you know, seen, you know, the, the creation of the overtime loss and how you still get a point and, how cold people were to that idea at first until they realized that, oh, those overtime losses might mean my team makes the playoffs. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it, it does seem like a very much a, like a polar issue among the players there. You know, I remember everyone saying how much Eric Carlson's going to love the round three, just because he seems like he's designed for it, but turns out he doesn't like it. You know, and you look at someone like Johnny Goudreau, who's just, one of the best pure skaters in the game and how good he is. And he seems like, you know, he's a kid playing pond hockey in three on three. He's having the time of his life. And, you know, I kind of get the same feeling 
feeling out of that when we watch Zook play three on three, just because you know the the big ice surface, he can you know just go out there and be a nuisance to everyone when he has the puck. But um, I'm not surprised that it's become kind of a you know it's either your heads or tails with it. Uh, it's really it comes down to the whole why do we use the term hockey purist because it's not really hockey, is it? It's uh, it's like a mini game or something in a video game. It's it's a different sort of animal. I don't know if you NHL hits is on either of your guys' radar, but that game used to literally be three on three hockey, and the reason it was that is because it's just this goofy game of you know what does it provide? Nothing but offense, and of course in NHL hits, you know, assault, but um, no assault in the NHL game that we see now, but. It's just this nothing but fast break hockey, and it's great for the fans. It's fun to see. Uh, the game Joe and I were at on Friday against the Kings, I got to see it live for the first person, and you don't really blink during 3 and 3 hockey, do you? You want to see what's happening. And that's, I think that says a lot, actually, because you, you know, I'm not sure, I'm not convinced it'll draw new fans into the game. Um, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure it does to some extent, but really, I think what it does is it captures the imagination of fans who, you know, might get tired of watching teams play for a tie because, or play for the shootout like some teams tend to do, because you can't really get away with playing for the shootout in three on three. Yeah, there's no safe way to play it, and I think it's it's kind of funny that we talk about how the three on three overtime is supposed to bring all this offense, but all I can think about is that ten minute all-star game where goals are just the only thing you get and the game ends one, nothing. Now, like I said, that first episode that we're talking about the best of the best playing this game and quote unquote, the money was on the line and all that nonsense. But I think that's a pretty good barometer for where three on three could go. Um, Beth, you asked the question, we answered it. What do you think? (laughs) I I just thought it was, you know, when he said, I enjoy watching it as his response. That was just not what I expected from the guy who actually has to be on the ice doing it. Um, so, you know, that said a lot to me. I mean, it is fun to watch. You can't, you know, no one's running to the bathroom or getting, you know, going to the fridge during the three on three, cause you can't, you'll miss something. Um, but yeah, I can imagine it would get a little hysterical when you're out there. Um, especially when we're getting closer and the points really matter. Um, but anyway, I, have I worn out my welcome guys? You, you have not, you can stay if you'd like, but if you have to go, we, we will release you into the wilderness. No, I'm happy to All have right, you well, here. Talk about more Playmobil. Well, well, have me back sometimes. I'm going to head off into the wilderness. Thank you for having me. Have a good one. Thank you. That was uh, Beth, who is one of our Thanks, Beth. main editors. We have not had a med- an editor on Blue Shirt Panther until she joined. So hopefully the my very famous spelling errors and grammatical mistakes have uh, quelled themselves a little bit. You can find her on BlueShirtBanter.com and blueshipanswer.com slash riveters, where you can also find Mike. Uh, Mike, there was something else that Nash said that I wanted to talk to you about, which was his glowing review of JT Miller, and his comment is, he has all the tools to be a star in this league. How old is he now? 22, 23. He's he's actually 22. Um, So he's coming into that age where he's got to bring his A game every night. There's no more excuses than he has. It's been fun to watch. Uh, part of this podcast was going to be us talking about whether or not the Rangers are back or at least improving to a point where you consider them to be back. With Rick Nash out, I would probably say JT Miller has been the Rangers' best forward night in and night out. 
Would you agree with that, or would you think it's someone like Zuccarello or Derek Broussard? Um, you know, I think it's I think it's safe to say JT's been the most surprising um, player, and also, you know, if you think about it, you know, it's kind of a goofy thought experiment. But if you erase all the goals he scored and just call all of them, you know, pretend they were all big saves or something of, of that ilk, you'd still be thinking that he's been something special. And, you know, obviously he's been scoring, like, you know, at a rate that no one, frankly, expected. But um, you watch him play and you watch how he's kind of stepped up with, you know, the production from Hayes and Crider has been into inconsistent and, you know, uh, Zuccarello and Brassard are leading the team in points. They're, you know, they're they're doing what they're supposed to do, and you know that's all going well. But you know, to get that scoring out of Miller and to get that production and that consistent game out of him has been huge. Um, I don't know how you feel about feel about him in general, but you know, I've I've come to kind of shake up my my rankings of. I often can't help but compare Miller directly to how important Hayes and Kreider are to the team and the future of the team. And since the beginning of the year, he's gone from what I thought to be the third most important of the group to the first. And it's not just because he's scoring goals. It's because of what he does when he's away from the puck. I mean, he has great speed, which is something that Hayes doesn't have. And he seems to really have a good head on his shoulders and a great understanding of where the puck's going to be and where he should be which is something that we don't often see from Kreider. Um, you know, he doesn't have the size and speed of Kreider, and he may not have the reach and the instincts to create scoring chances the way that Hayes does, but he does kind of a little bit of everything. And the most exciting thing about Miller, I think, is that you really do feel like we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg here of what he can be. And I think that's what was so exciting about, the, you know, the the reply that, uh, Beth got from the interview with Nash is that, you know, the, the tools are there for him to be something special. Right. And I think you kind of brought it up that JT Miller is sort of like a mutt when it comes to some of the players that the Rangers have in their farm system and some of the youth that they have in the lineup right now. I, I think the most intriguing thing about JT Miller is just his overall game. And he was always a very polished prospect. And it's one of the reasons why he went so high in the draft, but I often equate JT Miller to a, a very talented Ryan Callahan. I, I mean, Ryan Callahan's a guy who I don't think has the best skill set in the league. I really don't even think he has a good skill set. He's the type of guy who scored 30 goals and had a good career in terms of scoring. Obviously, that's not going the way that he expects in Tampa, but because of hustle rather than skill. And I think Miller has all of Callahan's heart, all of Callahan's intangibles, and all of his hustle, and then a lot more skill. And I don't think it's difficult to look at... And a better at, skater, too. Right, and a better skater, which is... I mean, he's, he's just as physical. It's a big deal, because... Be, yeah. If you look at what's a, gone wrong with Callahan with, as he gets older, and, you know, it's when you start losing your legs at a certain point, you can't get away with it in the NHL anymore. And you look at, you know, guys like Kevin Hayes, and you say, oh, you know, I wonder if, you know, how long his career can last. He really needs to, to become, you know, a big-bodied center who can create plays the way that Joe Thornton does, um, you know, maybe not on that level, but, but when you look at a guy like Miller who both hustles and is fast, then there is a big difference between those two things. Um, and you can see that, you know, there's something there that he can be something. Right, and there's just so much potential. And now that he's being utilized the right way, he's getting power play time, he's getting top line minutes, 
he's really starting to kind of, you know, run up the ladder a little bit. I think you can just see the way that Vigneault envisions using him, which that guy that's going to grind you up and he's going to four check and he's going to be the first guy in the zone. He's going to finish his checks. And oh, by the way, he's a pretty good hockey player too. I mean, right now Miller's got 17 goals and 13 assists for 30 points in 56 games, which is already career highs uh, for goals. It's the most goals he's ever had. It's tied for the most assists he's ever had. And you said it last week, Mike, the NHL is a young man's game and Miller is obviously a young man who's kind of coming into his own, but I definitely think that there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic with him. I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic with him, Hayes, and Kreider if they're kind of the, the young guns that are blossoming into this lineup if the Rangers can manage to keep them all. And I think Miller probably has the potential to be the – I don't want to say the best of the three. I want to say the most consistent of the three. I think at this point, Hayes That's probably fair, has yeah. the highest ceiling. I think Kreider is probably the most explosive player of the three of them. But – JT Miller is the type of guy that you could definitely see building around. And for him to kind of come into his own like this, I think it's been huge. And it really makes you think when Hayes gets over the hump and it looks like he's starting to get there and Kreider too. And again, looks like he's starting to get there. I mean, these guys are playing better with Rick Nash out of the lineup. And when everybody's back and everybody's healthy and that's your third line, that's going to be a really tough group to go up against. And Mignot's trusting him with the face-off dot. He's trusting him on the power play. And to this point, Miller's rewarded him every step of the way. So I definitely think that there are players that, as of right now, are probably – obviously, Zuccarello is a better hockey player. Um, him and Broussard are, are putting up points. But I also think they're getting better opportunities. And I think JT Miller is skyrocketing to the top of the list of players that Mignot trusts. As you're going down the game, I mean, if they need a goal, Miller's on the ice. I've seen him get double shifted. He's on the ice at the end of games with the lead, which is something you never would have seen from him in the beginning of the beginning of his career, because defensive reads are really one of his big problems. But uh, I think that at least in this case, Vigneault pushed all the right buttons, whether he did it intentionally or not. I don't know if this is something that he lucked into. It's possible. I think I would have loved to see Miller get some more opportunities last year because Miller really didn't get any chances during the regular season, and it took injuries for him to play in the playoffs. And when he did, he was great. So who's to say that he, yeah. he couldn't have been that guy two years ago? But uh, I think the Rangers need to be very, very happy with the way that he's playing. And he, he reminds me a lot of Brandon Saad right now. I think that might be uh, – obviously, he's not putting up those types of numbers, but that's sort of what I see from him. And there's just a lot of areas that he's very good at, and I think it's something that the Rangers definitely need. Um, I mean, he's played well with Nash out, no? It's uh to me it's it's a really fun thing when you see a young player like uh you know you can start to pay attention to someone like Oscar Lindbergh now when you watch how much more comfortable they look with the puck and really away from the puck because younger guys when they're away from the puck at the NHL level really look like you know at times they can look lost and you know unless they're you know a really elite skill player like you know a lot of high you know, a lot of first round picks like JT Miller was, uh, you know, are it's, it's been so interesting to watch his confidence develop with, with and without the puck. And I think the way he stepped up is exactly what the Rangers have needed. I don't know what the team would have looked like for the past, you know, month and a half, two months without Miller playing at the level he's been playing at. And the, the crazy thing is, you know, we were just talking about, you know, whether or not, you know, Hank's play was sustainable, but it's not that, you know, the the high shooting percentage aside and, you know, all of that, 
it's not like you feel like you know, Miller is playing beyond himself right now. You feel like this is what he is or can be. And that's the part that I think is easy to get excited about and for good reason, because, you know, he can play center and wing. He seems comfortable on both. You know, he's a player that, you know, you can plug him into the third line and tell him to take the body and play a game with some sandpaper in it, or you can ask him to get in the top six and play a more skill game and get on the power play. You know, you can ask him to fill a lot of roles and he has the talent and the ability and the athleticism to do all those things. And, you know, he's still extremely young, obviously. And it's, it's hard to say exactly what he'll be, but what he is right now is apparently just what the Rangers need. And the other thing the Rangers desperately need is to get healthy. Uh, Nash kind of pinpointed X week to be the week really make or break in terms of him skating Seeing how he's going to feel, he said he's going to try skating next week, and then he's going to see where he's at and if he's made progress. Obviously, Nash was downgraded from day to day to week to week. Uh, I think it was over the weekend. But Ryan McDonough is back. He's going to be playing tomorrow. That's obviously a big leap from him practicing in a non-contact jersey to, I think, today he did practice with a regular jersey. Uh, Mike, are you a little worried McDonough's being rushed back? Uh, it sounds like Dan Boyle's going to be out with the flu tomorrow, so it looks like McDonough's going to be his replacement. Or do you think that the Rangers did their due diligence on this one? I mean, it's impossible to speculate, but um, are you a little nervous that he's coming back this soon? Um, I think it's a it's a kind of an interesting part of the awareness that hockey fans and hockey writers have had with concussions is that we've gone from a place of like uh, either, you know, a willing ignorance or just, you know, a regular ignorance of not appreciating how serious they are to now, you know, having enough understanding about them to know that we don't know a damned thing, really. And I think that's what makes, you know, McDonough only missing four games feel like, well, some guys when they have a concussion, they're out for the season, for half a season. You know, some guys, their careers are over. You know, what do we know about, from one concussion to the next and you know you, you can't you can't i don't think most people will feel you know smiling ear to ear hearing that you know if we see mcdonough take a hit you know in, the, in his first game back against chicago i mean it's i think the natural you know inclination of most people is to be skeptical and worried with concussions because we know so little about them um you know i just out of pure chance i was watching the uh the derek bugard documentary on the new york times on on uh, youtube today while i was getting some writing done and all i could think about as i was watching it is we haven't learned anything <laughs> like nothing has changed really in how much or how little the general public and hockey fans in general really understand concussions and i think that's it's turned them into a bit of no pun intended here a bit of a boogeyman and it's you know, in a lot of ways, you, you hope for like a structural injury, like, you know, something happens to a guy's hand or arm or leg or something as opposed to a concussion because it's it's just a big black box with a question mark on it. You don't know what you're going to get. So, I mean, are right. you com- comfortable with him getting back this quick or are you worried? I mean, this is the problem, though, with concussions because for all the reasons that you're worried and you're worried because you just don't know with a concussion – it's also all the reasons that you have to trust the doctors to, who cleared him. And I think it's worth noting that the Rangers probably have the best, uh, if not one of the best um, medical staffs in the game. Jim Ramsey is obviously one of the top trainers in the NHL. 
if not the top trainer in the yep. NHL. These guys aren't just going out there with a franchise player and saying, oh, we're just going to put him in there because we need him. I think it's 50 in the chat right now brought up a good point. The Rangers are 3-0-1 with him out. So it's not like the Rangers are struggling and they're floundering and, oh, my God, we got to get McDonough back into the lineup. Now, obviously, Dan Boyle being out tomorrow throws a wrench in things. But if you have to call up Brady Shea and play him for a game, so be it. So to me, yeah, and there's also uh, Mark Stahl's wife might be induced into labor tomorrow as well. So he, it's either you know, there's a chance we'll see, you know, Chris Summers or um, Brady Shea up. But you know, with it's like the the point that stands that uh that George Fifty made there is, you know, it's there's no reason to rush him back, and that's the part that should give us some confidence. And you know, as you pointed out, these are. You know, they're not going to put the captain of the team, a cornerstone of the franchise, on the line just to get him back, you know, a game or two earlier than he's ready to be back. Right, and that's obviously a huge part of this as well because the long-term damage that comes from McDonough re-injuring something or him having a worse concussion is is obviously detrimental to the team's long-term health. So, I mean... I think it was yesterday or maybe today, Batman had comments about how CTE doesn't necessarily come from concussions and that there's not a real link. And everybody's up in arms about that because it's quite clear that the two are linked. And I don't think Batman was necessarily, I don't want to say discrediting it, but I think he's sort of dancing around the, tech, the terminology a little bit. And that's not something you want to hear. Um, I think Michael Sauer should really be the sort of the litmus test of, Hey, that's a freak thing, and it really is a freak thing, thankfully. I mean, you don't see guys who get concussions no longer have a career or a life very often, but it is something that happens. So, like you said, Mike, I definitely agree with everything that football is going through. We really don't know any more today than we knew a couple of years ago, or maybe we do know more today and they're just not really doing as much about it or, or don't know how to tackle it. So I'm going to assume McDonough's fine. I'm going to assume they put him in the quiet room. I'm going to assume that he went through practice and felt good and has no lingering effects. And it just is what it is at that point. And I have no reason not to trust the Rangers medical staff. And I don't think anyone could really levy a case against them where they don't trust them. So I'm going to say McDonough's Yeah, McDonough's quote was, you know, quote unquote, he's not even thinking about it anymore. There's something to that effect, which, you know, is sounds a lot like a guy putting on a brave face, but, you know, when you're an athlete, you have that, that you know, you're an athlete and your body is a well-tuned machine and you're not used to being out of the lineup, especially when you're the captain. Um, I don't know. I don't really remember the last time, you know, Mac missed a game. But um, it was a bit alien to see the Rangers without him on the blue line, you know, even as shaky as that first bear has been, which is really no fault of his own. Um, but it's, it's a, kind of an interesting thing to see how it really feels like it's another one of these divisive issues, whether or not people feel like, you know, it's rushing him back or not. You know, I saw a lot of comments on the banner about, you know, that people just hope he's ready and he's not, you know, a deer in headlights when he sees someone coming with a hit or something. But, you know, let's not forget the way he got injured was a freak sucker punch play. You know, it was a bizarre thing that happened that will not likely happen again for quite some time while he's on the ice. Um, I, you know, at the end of the day, I, I, I feel comfortable enough with how seriously concussions are taken that we don't see players rushed back. Yeah, and I definitely, uh, I'd have to agree with that. I mean, there's certainly a negative way to look at the situation, which is, oh, you know, we got to get them back on the ice as soon as possible. We need them back. But 
I, I just think I think the Rangers are smarter than that, and I think that their medical staff is better than that. And I'd hope that that's the same thing for everybody. Obviously, you saw that not really be the case with the Dennis Wyvern situation in Calgary, but I think it's, it's yeah. Something but that, to me, that was again a, kind of a goofy situation. Yeah, I think it, I, I just I guess the point I'm trying to make is I don't see any way that McDonough is not fully healthy and ready to go. Which brings up my next point, and it's the point we'll end with, is Mike and I continue this Tony method of podcasting where we will go past the 45-minute mark. <laughs> Remember that you will not hear us once 845 rolls around. You'll have to download us on the archive to listen to everything else we're going to say. So make sure you do that. We're padding the numbers. This is the way that we do it now, so you're going to have to live with that. Um, all the talk leading up to this week with McDonough being injured was that the New York Rangers were not going to move Keith Yanzo at the trade deadline until they knew the long-term effects of Brian McDonough. That came from Elliot Friedman. That came from Darren Dreger. came from Pierre Lebrun over at ESPN. McDonough's back now, and the trade deadline's a few weeks away. What do you think happens at this point? I mean, do you think that the Rangers made a decision on Yanzo before and they just wanted to make sure that McDonough was healthy. Do you think that Yandel playing all this time with McDonough out is making the Rangers a little bit more decisive towards keeping him for a run, losing him for nothing be damned? Or do you think that this situation is just going to be another one of those, we have no idea what's going on and the Rangers will probably make the wrong decision? As much as I don't want it to be the, the latter case, I think it's an interesting thing to look at the recent Steven Stamkos development with Iserman where, um, he just came out and said that we're not trading him before the deadline. And, you know, the uh, Friedman's comment on that was that at some point, you know, you, you get to a point where the negotiating, you feel like it's not going anywhere. And the focus has to be for a team like Tampa, which, you know, in terms of power ranking is right, right in the neighborhood of the Rangers, where the focus has to be not about what this player's future is. It's about, getting into the playoffs and getting to the cup final. And I think that when that happens for the Rangers, when they make that decision, I'm not sure if that's come yet. And I'm not sure if what happened is that kind of got put on, put on the ice with uh, McDonough's injury. And, you know, if there is some debate about, you know, I'm not sure anyone expected McDonough to come back this fast. I certainly didn't. Um, and I thought that because of his injury, we would likely see Yandel not being moved. But now that things have changed, I I don't know. I, I get the feeling that it it all depends on what the market is, and it all depends on what Yandel can bring back. Because I get the feeling that you know the Rangers aren't just going to want to do the same sort of deal that you know the Coyotes did, where they you know they get back stuff for the future. Because they they are a win now team, and it, it's highly highly unlikely that they'll do a trade where they lose Keithy and the where they will still be a win now team. They'd have to get something back that helps now and in the next few years. Um, uh, do you see them moving him, or do they do you see them, you know, holding their cards? Uh, do you see them, you know, saying that we're going to try and resign him? I mean, what do you predict? In my heart of hearts, well, let me start here because we have 60 seconds left. Thank you for all of you guys who listen live. Uh, the chat room was bumping again today. We appreciate it. Thank you, Beth, for coming on. Again, Mike and I are going to go a little over, so the Tony method, you'll have to download it afterwards to hear what we have to say. Uh, next week, we may actually take a couple of calls for a segment. 
Mike and I are just going to figure that out, but keep that in mind. And thank you guys for listening. It, it was, uh, it's been fun these past three weeks and the support has been great. So we really appreciate it. Um, Thanks, buddy. Mike, to answer your question, I think that in my heart of hearts, I see the New York Rangers just keeping him for the playoff run and then either trading him for nothing, you know, for the exclusive negotiation rights at the, after the draft or yeah. after the draft, um, or losing him for nothing. And I think it's because of what you said, which is the Rangers obviously view themselves as a win now team and there's no trade out there that actually gets them back the pieces that they need or that helps long-term for him that you would get on the trade market. And what I mean by that is I had someone reach out to me from the Detroit Red Wings blog and uh, I'm just not using his name because I don't know if he's doing a story on it or not. So I don't want to ruin it for him, but he pretty much asked me what I would want back for Keith Yandel. And we were talking about it a little bit back and forth. And he and I both agree that Yandel's stay value, which is the value that he brings to the team if he stays and doesn't get traded, is miles beyond what you're most likely going to get for him on the trade market. And that's a huge part of this puzzle. Because if you're moving Yandel because you know you're not going to be able to keep him, that's one thing. But if you can keep Yandel and you just have to get a little uncomfortable to do it, and I mean trading Stoll or Girardi to get there, you have to do it. Because Yandel staying on the team is probably better than what you're going to get back. But I think Yandel's value on the open market right now is either a first-round pick and a mid-level prospect or a second- to third-round pick and a high-end prospect. And the Detroit blogger from Wingy and Motown, which is our uh, SB Nation's Detroit Red Wings affiliate, was talking about a couple of the defensive prospects that the Red Wings were looking to unload. And I just don't see a scenario where the Rangers – get anything back that even helps them next year. And that makes it tough because and, the Rangers yeah, want to be a and with now. the clock on, yeah. Lundquist is not a young guy anymore. I mean, he's, I, you know, I think I brought this up last podcast, but the, you can't pretend the Rangers aren't a win-now team. And that doesn't mean that they should be, you know, selling the future and making a, you know, a desperate, cup run at the expense of everything come every year because no organization does that because it's short-sighted and foolish but you have to keep in mind that you know it's important to try and win now because there are pieces and assets here with Henrik Lundqvist's name being underlined and in bold font that you can't ignore a year or two from now the situation will not will likely almost it won't be better you know, the best chances they have are here and now. And because of that, it makes what to do with Yandel all the more difficult. And if if it's something where we can, you know, the Rangers can move a stall or Girardi and, you know, get one of those contracts off the book and, you know, take on whatever they can get for them. You know, if they get what some people deem to be a poor return but amounts to cap space, and maybe, you know, some picks and prospects. And, you know, it means maybe getting Brady Shea in the lineup or, you know, even playing Summers on the third pair or what have you or a regular spot in the rotation for McElrath, rather. You know, that's that's a win in the long term because it, they'd be getting cap space back. And that's something that is often overlooked. Right, and that's the other part of this. I think when a lot of people look at Heath Yandel, he's only worth – a $2.6 million cap hit to the Rangers. 
So I think it was LeBron who made the comment that the Rangers were willing to let him walk for nothing at the end of the year and go for the cup run because they wanted the cap space. That's not worth it in terms of the cap space. And I think that even if you get a move no. with a, a team, say it's a second round pick and a high end prospect or a first round pick and a, a middling prospect, it's just, you're not getting something that's going to help you right now. And you're getting something that's going to help you tomorrow. And Lundqvist isn't getting any younger, but I think it's so risky to bank on this team right now as is to win a Stanley cup and to not yeah, I agree. get anything back for Yandel because then you're just screwing over the future as well. And George Ranger. Well, so, yeah. So it turns, so for you, in your opinion, the worst thing they can do on deadline day is nothing. Is that right? I, well, but there's a caveat with that. There, there's a, a little footnote, and the footnote is if you keep Yandel, you better win the Stanley Cup. You better win the Stanley Cup, or you better re-sign him, one or the other, but those are your only two options. Because the minute you don't trade Yandel at the trade deadline, he has all the leverage for as big of a contract as he wants. With the deal that Buffling got, he's going to be able to ask for a lot of money, and what happens? Because if you can't sign him, he can walk away for nothing. So if the Rangers are quiet at the deadline, and I have a feeling that's what they're going to be, yes, I think mm. that, A, they're not helping this year's chances at all, and, B, they're hurting the future. And that's just the worst thing you can do. I'd rather see the Rangers make a move for a veteran who can help them today and go for the cup that way than do nothing. But yeah. I say that and realize that I don't want to give up any future picks and prospects. So maybe going to war with the team they have in the foxhole right now is the smartest thing to do. It might not be the best thing to do, but it's the smartest thing to do. And we talked about this yesterday. I don't think the Rangers have to rebuild. I think they need to retool. And if Mark Stahl, Dan Girardi, uh, and Ryan McDonough are your top three defensemen next year, you're not in a good place to win the Stanley Cup. You're just not. You're not even going to contend for it. So no, it, yeah, it's it's an important it, point you make. Yeah, the the where the money is with the blue line, the money is in the wrong blue liners in a lot of ways. And you know, you look at the the bargain that McDonough has signed for, and you look at the money that's tied up in Stahl and Girardi, and you can't look at the cap, you know, if you go to, you know, generalfanager.com, you look at the Rangers' blue line, you can't feel good about the years at the end of McDonough, I'm sorry, with Stahl and Girardi's contracts. One of them has to go. And the real problem is that it's only going to get more difficult to move them. Right. And the minute that that disappears, like you, you've lost that opportunity and it's a huge problem. So I'm not sure what the right answer is to be honest with you. And I think Jeff Gordon is getting a lot of flack from the fans, but to be fair, a lot of this mess, most of this mess is Glenn Sather's fault. So to keep the blame onto, onto Gordon isn't fair. And for all we know, he might be trying to make moves for Girardi and Stahl and he just can't. And maybe he's had a conversation with the Andals group and they have a, a figure that they're going to agree to, or they're in the same ballpark and, He's got to move on the table for Girardi or Stahl at the deadline, or not at the deadline, at the draft, and you just don't know those things. But I guess that, like I said, there's not a ton of great options out there. And, I mean, look, if they could trade Girardi or Stahl and sign Yandel all on deadline day, that's great. Take it and run. But I don't think that's going to happen, and we're going to have to ride it out this way. Uh, I don't want to give away too much of the, the segment I think we're going to do next week. I, I got to, Mike and I will talk and I have to make sure the timing works because I want to keep it 
the show before the trade deadline, which I think is next week's show. Um, maybe not directly before the trade deadline, but um, yeah, we, we might take some callers. Mike and I will talk about it, but we just wanted to thank you. We, we've gone over seven minutes, so that's a, a sufficient amount of time to reward the people for downloading the podcast extra with the Tony method. Um, you can read me on Blue Shirt Banter. You can find this obviously at blogtalkradio.com slash Blue Shirt Banter. Um, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can leave comments about us on iTunes. If you can rate us on iTunes. I, I implore or beg you to do that. Um, say a nice thing about it. You can read Mike on Blue Shirt Banter. You can read Mike on blueshirtbanter.com slash riveters. And you can also read Mike on today's Slapshot. Uh, anything else you would like to plug, Michael, before before we move on to the wilderness ourselves? Uh, you can find me at, at the Deep BSB on Twitter, and you can find Joe at, at Blueshirt Banner. Yeah, yeah, those are those are two good things to talk about. You can also find us on Facebook.com slash Blueshirt Banter. Pretty much go to any website on a social presence and type in slash Blueshirt Banter, and you will find us. And I, I think you all should do that because it'll be fun. Um, big thanks to uh, Beth again for coming on the great job with the, the Nash interview and uh, just giving us that yeah, insight. Do, which is, Beth do word. She do word yes, good. She, more she than do word good stuff. and she helps me do word better on website. More um, good better. Yeah. Yes, more good better. So I think this is our smoothest podcast yet. I'm not going to lie. I think this was, this was a pretty good one. Uh, like I said, the numbers have been really good. So thank you all for that support. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but I also want to make sure that I'm able to thank all of you guys for the support that we've gotten. So, uh, again, find us on Blue Shirt Banter, Mike, and all the places that he said, Twitter, Facebook, everything you want. Thank you so much, guys. Have a great night, and we will see you next week. Thanks, everybody.